everybody, welcome to episode 13 of Ron and Matt Must Listen. I'm Ron, joined as always by my friend Matt. Matt, how are you? Yo, I'm doing pretty decent. How about yourself? Doing well, man. Doing very well. Thanks for asking. Today, super excited for the guests that we have. Uh, we have the vocalist of the band Reds, Evan. Part of this how are you man oh, i'm good thanks for having me happy to be here yeah thank you so why don't you tell us what you picked and then i'll give you the little bit of information that i was able to find about them <laughs> yeah and i might have to you know try to google some information while <laughs> while we're talking myself here um so yeah i picked a uh an lp uh by the band die hoffnung from gainesville florida called elegies and creation songs this is an LP that came out not too long ago, 2017 or 18, I think, even though it was recorded a good bit before that. I want to say it was recorded in like 2012 or so. Yeah, I think that, I think that was similar to what I read. I think they had had the records for like four years and they were waiting to do the artwork or something. Yeah, uh, yeah basically that's all I had too is that, you know. <laughs> all right, good show. Thanks Ed for talking. <laughs> second. Second, second album <laughs> and that was it that was that was what i found and that they basically kind of started around 2004 yeah so how did you find the band what brought you to them yeah so going way back in a, a way back late 90s all right i was a young a young boy in louisiana and my my friend told me i didn't know anything about emo music and he made me a mixtape <laughs> um and uh one of the bands like that was on it was uh, a band called I Hate Myself from Gainesville. Have y'all, you're you familiar with I Hate Myself? Yes. So the Marburger brothers who are in Die Hoffnung were in I Hate Myself. And like, you know, I Hate Myself. I think th- there's debate about whether they were a serious band or whether they were tongue in cheek. My assumption is they were serious to at least some extent. I don't think you put that much energy and uh, creativity into something if it's just supposed to be a joke. But they were definitely like over the top in terms of their, you know, their emotional delivery um, and uh, some of the lyrical content and other stuff. And so, but yeah, they were great. And so like, I love them uh, and got all their stuff. Uh, They were on No Idea Records as a lot of the Gainesville bands were. And, you know, just with, other kind of stuff like that, you know, you, you find a band, you find a city that you love that has a lot of great bands coming out of it. You have a, a record label that you love that's putting out a lot of those bands and just kind of went deep down that that uh, that wormhole of trying to find as many Gainesville bands as I could and listen to all that stuff. But yeah, so I Hate Myself was a band that I really listened to and, and loved uh, a lot. And they, I don't know when I Hate Myself broke up probably late 90s, early 2000s, although I know, I think they've played a couple reunion shows. And then after that band, the Marburger Brothers went on to do another band called Burn Man that had a 12-inch on No Idea, uh, an LP on No Idea as well, which was great. Uh, Way more like rocking, shreddy 
stuff than like the I hate myself stuff, but also great. And then, and I don't know who else was in that band, but then that band, Burn Man, split up. And in, I don't know, probably 2005 or so, I had moved to Brooklyn at the time and was going to a lot of house shows at this place called, uh, this loft called The Woodser, which is in Williamsburg. Um, and pretty much everybody that lived in the Woodser were former Gainesville folks. Cool. And they did tons of great shows there. And Die Hoffnung played one of the shows there. And it was at that point in time, I think it was just the two brothers, the Marburger brothers. Travis definitely wasn't in the band. Travis Fristo um, wasn't in the band at that time. And they were great. And they just had like a CDR demo, because you know, it was 2000. 2005 or so so it was the the, the the period of cdr demos between the between the peaks of tape demo world we're back in like tape tape demo world but you know uh but it was great and so also in getting into the kind of gainesville scene another band uh that i really loved was moonraker and moonraker had a, a member uh named travis fristo who did vocals and guitar in moonraker um, and he also uh, did a zine called America. And I was big into zines and had read America. And uh, yeah, and so I just loved Moonraker and loved Travis's zine. And Travis, similarly to, to the Marburger Brothers, was in Moonraker and then did another band for a, a longer period of time called Reactionary 3. It was uh, more punky than Moonraker. Moonraker, again, was kind of like a, a emotional emo core band emo band reactionary theory is more like Minutemen, punky uh political stuff um and so travis did reactionary three and i got to see them a few times uh when i was living in louisiana and then also up in brooklyn and i met travis i think it was at a true north show i think he was i think he was roading for true north and i saw them in in new orleans and Recognized him, I think, from like the insert on the Moonraker record or something, maybe a issue, no idea fans, like picture from somewhere and introduced myself and we, we chatted that night and then we kind of were pen pals and stayed in touch. Um, you know, people who knew Travis, a lot of people were pen pals with him. He, he wrote a lot and stayed in touch with people pretty well. And so we were in touch and then he did another band, which I don't know if I can sneak another like bonus must listen record in here but he was in a band that did a seven inch called true feedback story um which is like one of my favorite seven inches uh it's travis uh mike taylor who was in palatka and halo perfecto and some other bands yeah and that's a great seven inch so you know check that out as well but um but yeah so like day Hafnung, you know i heard them and saw them back in 2005 or so uh, and then they did put out a record on no idea like a 12 inch or an LP and then I hadn't really heard anything about them for a while and then I heard that Travis had joined the band and they, they had recorded uh, an LP with Travis uh, which I was psyched on because I love uh, the Die Huffnung stuff and all the stuff that the Marburg brothers had done I loved everything that Travis had done and I was super psyched on, on hearing that. And then a few years ago, Travis committed suicide and I had seen him not too long before that he had moved to Philadelphia and come up to 
New York for a show, a tear gas rock show, which was basically folks from Young Pioneers and Born Against. Saw him there, it was great to see him, you know, had talked a little bit about Die Hafnung stuff. Um, and then, yeah, he committed suicide a few years back. And so this record I know had been recorded obviously before then, but hadn't come out yet. And I know Mike Taylor, who again, uh, was, in, was very close with Travis, did the artwork for it. Roy, who actually had lived at the Woodser, uh, that Gainesville loft that I talked to you about mentioned in Brooklyn, uh, printed the covers for it. And yeah, and so I, it came out eventually and then I, I didn't get it for a bit. And then just, you know, finally decided I had to get it uh, and just fell in love with it. I mean, it's a great, it's a great record. And, you know, I picked it, like we were talking a little bit before we started recording about like this idea of these must listen records and, and, uh, and I'm rambling. I could talk to myself all night. So feel free to interject at any point. <laughs> oh, we will. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, you asked me to do the podcast and I was like, yeah. And so I started thinking about like, what are all the formative records for me that like everybody's got to listen to? And as I was thinking about like knowing uh, Ron and like people who I think would be listening to this podcast, like everything that I could think of that would be like a formative record for me was something that I think most people listening to this podcast would have heard of and would be considered in some way like canon in the hardcore world. And so I was like, you know, let me think about it from a little different angle. And though I had this record for a while and loved it, I hadn't like given it a ton of le deep listens and you know it's I just think it's such a great record and I think as you know something that is Travis's parting record uh in a way is something that more people should hear I think it's just a beautiful record by some some people that have made a lot of great music that I've loved over the years so wanted to use this as an opportunity to get it out there and say like if you haven't heard it yet get it and listen to it I know there's still copies available from the label. Uh, I think there's still copies available from the label, Belladonna. Um, at least yep. 29, at least 29 right now. Cause at I least... bought, they said they had 30. I bought one. <laughs> I'm so. hopefully going to buy one on Bandcamp Friday. <laughs> hopefully it. they'll last that long. Get, yeah, get yeah, it, I'm sure they will. They've been well, around. This, for, won't, been this around won't be on for a while, Matt. So you should be good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not like it's going up tomorrow. Before the, so. before the, whatever the, the Kilgore bump happens before everybody. <laughs> That's <gets> right. The <laughs> People are going to be like, oh man, <laughs> this guy, let me, I got to get this. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's just a great record. And, you know, the packaging's beautiful letterpress artwork, which, you know, I'm a sucker for packaging. Um, yeah, same. And I know, I don't know if it's still included with the record, but there's a CDR of solo songs that Jim uh, from the band it is um, after Travis's suicide. And so I think that's a kind of a, a moving part of the, the record as well. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I had never heard of them at all. Score. So when you sent it to me, I was like, okay, what is this going to sound like? Because the cover art, is a little deceiving to me like i was like is this going to be like an indie rock fair because that was what i kind of picked up on initially like from the from the art and mm -hmm. then when i listened to it what i loved about it was that it is not able to be pigeonholed at all yeah and there is i mean there's been there have been a few records that people have brought matt included no offense matt but of all the records that somebody have, have, has brought to the table this one was my favorite like i immediately after two listens was like i'm buying this record like i just i'm i'm gonna own this i'm not even waiting i'm just buying the vinyl 
Um, I I loved nice. it, man. Right. I think it is an incredibly, incredibly good record. I am really surprised with the internet being the way it is that people did not pick up on it because it's fantastic. I mean, I was from the I, I from was, the very beginning. I was thinking about it as I was listening to this, like getting ready for for our talk. Like one, right? Like obviously, like one of the things that people want from a record that they're buying is like the hope of maybe being able to go see the band, I think, right? And like, or, or you know, you know, when, when a band, and I know this is somebody who uh, did a record label that unfortunately released uh, far too many records by bands that had recently broken up just before the record came out. Uh, <laughs> and, well, but to be fair, you released a lot of really good records. So. Thank you, thank you. But you know, like when the band's not around anymore, like the excitement of the record, I think for some folks is like, you know, not not the same, and it's not going to get the a buzz or, or or whatever. And the band, like you know, like bands get the word out by going out and playing shows and blowing people away. And sure. I think, like, if I had ever had the chance to see Ty Hoffman with this lineup, like definitely would have been blown away by it. But they didn't. You know, I don't. I'm not even sure if they ever played shows with Travis in the band or if they, they just kind of recorded this stuff. That uh, actually, I should ask some people. But yeah, so I think like, you know, the band broke up, Travis was gone and the record didn't come out for five years, six years after it was recorded. So yeah, like, I, I think there was that to it. I think also like, as I was listening to it and maybe I'm, I'm like projecting or trying to insert myself in the record too much. I don't know, I feel like it, it feels kind of like a, an old punks record. Um, <laughs> And I, and I say that lovingly and like as an old punk who's 42. Sure. But I, I think like, one, the lyrics also are, 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 you know, I think very beautiful, poetic, incredibly well-written. Travis uh, was a writer. And I think the Marburger brothers, both very literary writers in their songs. And so there's, you know, I, I think the lyrics can be, I don't know, like uh, opaque maybe they're open to being, I think, interpreted in a variety of ways. And so I might sure. be interpreting them the way that like I, I want, but it feels like a lot of it just kind of grapples more with like aging and growing up and living life as you're like, you know, an adult sort of life and grappling with some of the things you grapple with as you're in your thirties and forties or whatever. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily what uh, the kids are out looking for in terms of the next hot record. Um, <laughs> But like really, I think resonate for me. And again, that could entirely be because I'm like, this is what this song is about. And if I talk to anybody who wrote the lyrics, they'd be like, no, no. But, you know, maybe that's what great lyrics are about is being able to oh, yeah. take your own, your own message from them. But yeah, like, I think it's just, you know, going back to what you were saying, Ron, about it being a hard record to pigeonhole and kind of like having so much going on, like, it's like a record that for me it really like takes me on a journey as you listen to it like there oh. are upbeat poppy songs there are slow dirgy uh kind of sad like very sad feeling songs there are uh the punchier angrier shouty songs and so uh yeah there's a lot going on yeah yeah first, i agree dude first listen i was like oh some because i had never heard of them 
I was like, oh, this is a slow core album. Because <laughs> it reminded me of like coding or something like that, except with like more of a southern uh, I guess drawl or whatever you want to say on the vocals. Yeah. And then by second song, I'm like, I was wrong. And then by the third <laughs> song, I'm like, oh, okay, that's still sort of there. But it, yeah, it's definitely you go on a journey because they do so much different stuff throughout the like runtime of it. Yeah, but and it remains cohesive. Yeah, and I think that's the thing too, right? Is like there's a lot of different sounds going on. There's a lot of different stuff going on, but it does still feel really cohesive. Um, it's not like it doesn't feel like three different people came with different songs and they're like, yeah. oh, this is a you know, this is a, a gym song. This is John song. This is trap song. We just all stuck them together. Like definitely feels cohesive um, while also having a lot of different moods to it. I, yeah. I think that the, the first song elegy for Bob Ross, um, you know, it, like it starts off like the slow core song with the Southern drawl. Let pain be life. this is you know it's there and then and then it kicks into uh, you know horses on fire the second song which is like all right that's like punching it up a bit and and getting a little wilder and angrier and uh yeah and it kind of just goes from there and then even within yeah. songs like you know there are songs where it has all that going on within the same song so i i agree i think i think that the one of the most impressive things to me and it's something that i look for in bands I like, I'm, I'm super picky about vocals <laughs> because they don't have to sound in key. They don't have to be good. They just have to speak to me in some mm -hmm. way. And a lot of it has to do with tone and delivery. And one of the things I liked about this is his tone and delivery shifted a lot. There were moments on the record where I was like, oh, this his like vocal delivery reminded me a little bit of like Mountain Goats. Mm -hmm. And then there, were, there was a song and I can't remember which one, but there was a moment where he's like, it's very like excited sounding almost like jad fair from half japanese and it's like this like it doesn't it doesn't stay in a pocket either and it's hard to pigeonhole the vocals so yeah. like uh, the well, whole thing I, was just impressive and i know there's at least two i wish i knew i don't know whether both jim and john marburger do vocals but i know at least one of them does vocals on half like maybe half the songs or some of the songs and then Travis does other ones and one of the things I've always loved about Travis's vocals is they're just they're punk vocals they're not perfect they're scratchy right. they're tacky. I, you know I wrote I think it was like shortly after seeing Reactionary 3 uh back in in New Orleans back in like 2001 or 2002 I wrote like this little blurb I don't know it was like I put it in a zine uh, I did a zine back in the day and, and it was just about how like one of the things that I love about punk rock or or just like music in general because it wasn't just punk bands but like was you know the imperfection of of music um and bands and like I had a lot of friends who were getting into techno at the time so it might have also been a backlash against that of like I don't want your robots or whatever but like you know, <laughs> and, you know and and some of the bands I mentioned were like Moonraker, Reactionary 3 like so Travis's vocals 
mountain goats who i think travis actually introduced me to mountain goats and through through america through zine or maybe it was a, a letter he wrote me um and like woody guthrie and like just people who, who sing and, and it's not about like it sounding beautiful in a traditional sense or perfect in a traditional sense but just that there's passion behind it and there's meaning behind it and so yeah so that's one of the things i've always loved about travis's bands and, and vocals is it's, it's not a vocal delivery that you would expect or, or, you know, like he's not going to win American Idol or, or whatever, but, uh, right. But it resonates and it, you know, it, it's, it's out there as something that's just raw and exposed. So. And that's what goes into, I mean, I think that's what really draws me into most music. Like I'm not a musician. I can't play anything. I have no patience to sit down and learn anything. I never did. Like I was always too involved in a hundred other things, but I love music. I've, you know, collected records for years. You know, I started a label two years ago because I'm like, okay, I'm 39 years old. I want to just do something that I want to do. I worked for the state of Pennsylvania for quite a number of years and they give me a retirement that's small, but it's enough to do the label. And that's what I use my retirement from the state. You already for. get retirement? Man, I, I do at 40, dude. I screwed up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I get a massive, a massive amount. It's, it's a stipend practically, but <laughs> you know, but it's funny. I was there for, for all those years and they basically told us we weren't going to have our jobs in two years. And so I was like, oh man, you know, my wife had this opportunity. She took her opportunity to do what she's doing. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave because I'm going to try and find something else to do before there's like 500 of us looking for jobs. And then, you know, cut to two years later and I'm into like my fourth job because of COVID. <laughs> so, you know, crazy how things worked, but that's what, you know, when I, when I, when I look at music and one of the reasons that I reached out to, to you guys about doing the stuff with Reds is I love your vocals in that band. I love the way that there's, there's so much passion in, in, in that record, in the vocals and in and, and the way you deliver them. And it, it spoke to me whenever I was 25 and it came out. And it still speaks to me at 40. And I love that kind of stuff. And so that, that's the same way with this. When I first heard it, my initial reaction was like, I love this. This is awesome. This is like, it, it touched a lot of places that I really love in music. And it checked off a lot of boxes and things that I listened to. So man, like, thanks for bringing it too. Because it was one that I did not know anything about. Like, it wasn't even I had heard the name. There was nothing. Yeah. I knew nothing. Both of us were like, so. Oh. <laughs> yeah yeah we had no clue when i sent it to, to matt he's like i have no idea i'm like all right well then this is gonna be we're in the same boat and started, <laughs> then you started to reconsider you're like i don't know not at all the first time i listened to it i really liked it and like i said the second time through i'm like no no i'm buying this right now i'm not even waiting and i also like that you know one of the song titles is uh is a reference to old dirty bastard you know the passion of the big baby jesus yeah is uh it's an ODB reference. I think the Marburgers uh, have an ODB thing. One of the last I Hate Myself Seven Inches had some ODB inspired artwork. It's like him uh, getting shot by a bolt of lightning on like Adonis's body, his his head on like Adonis's <laughs> body or something. Can't there's remember. there's the, that I also am a huge huge fan of the ODB. So that's uh. When I saw that, I was like, the first time I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's a reference. And then after listening to it and hearing the word Shaolin come in, I'm like, oh, that's yeah, definitely like, a this, 
the spirit of Shaolin or yeah, what, what's, what's yeah. Yeah. out of here somewhere? Uh, Aurora Borealis so far from the slums of Shaolin. You're like, Shaolin. all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was on, I was on board 100%, but no, I thought, I thought everything about this was really, really solid. I mean, musically it's awesome. I love it as, as an album. Like we were talking with Nate Coughlin last week about, how Steely Dan's record kind of came together and how it fit together really well and how pretty much all of us were in agreement that we're album listeners. We're not singles listeners. We're not looking to listen to singles. Yeah. And that's, this record is another one that like you can pull a song out and listen to it and it's good on its own, but in the context of the record, it's fantastic because like you said, it's a journey. Yeah. I, I think when I was trying to figure out which record to talk about and, and to give you guys, I put it, I put this on in the car and I was like, I don't know, it was dry. It was like a long ride. It was like a long enough drive where I could like listen to the whole record twice. Um, and I was kind of by myself and it was just like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a journey record. It's a, it's a record to take a journey with not, not, not journey. Uh, you know, <laughs> don't but, stop uh, believing, but you know, don't you, you still shouldn't stop believing, but, but yeah, yeah you know, I, I feel like it's very, you know, this is going to sound pretentious, but it's like, it's an atmospheric record. It really, I feel like creates, creates a vibe, creates an atmosphere around you as you listen to it and uh, pulls you in. And, and I think again, like, you know, as a, as a lyricist or writer, I, I was always just like super straightforward and just kind of said whatever I needed to say uh, without any poetics. But I, I do really, you know, having sat down with this a few times recently, like, gone along with the lyric sheet as as i was listening to the record which i hadn't done like for a lot of for really any band recently like you know the days where i would like get a record and sit next to the record player and read the lyrics as i listened to the record for the first time or you know fewer than they used to be but i did it with this record a couple times over the last month and like just really love that you can dig into them and come back to them and keep trying to get get more and more out of the songs and out of the lyrics and uh yeah i think it's also harder you know when you know you and i both have kids so it's also harder when you have kids to actually take that time to sit down and look at a lyric sheet where you're like hanging out at the record player because you can get a couple seconds in and it's like hey dad what's going on with this can you come over here and play with me or can we do this together and it's like okay, time to drop this and go about doing that. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's another reason that that kind of falls into the wayside because I used to do that too. I would just sit on the floor and listen to a record and pull out the lyric sheet or, you know, just look at the artwork or whatever. And now it's like, if I listen to a record, it's usually while I'm doing a hundred other things so that I can listen to the record. Um, yeah. And especially, you know, when you're in the midst of a pandemic and You'd never yeah. get to escape your family. My family generally does not want to listen to uh, much of what I want to listen to. So <laughs> we, we, we put on compromise records. And so, but yeah, my daughter recently, my, my, we moved and then my wife's commuting into work already. And my daughter just started school full time again. And so I get the record, the record player in the house to myself a good bit these days, which has been, which has been nice. I had to you know, it's my first time living in a house in 20 years. I've been in apartments for the last 20 years in New York City. And uh, my last apartment, fortunately, the guy downstairs was a musician. He's a jazz drummer, but had also been in, was, is big into metal and 
has himself invested in a, a very nice stereo system and record player. But, you know, we would sit in both of our respective apartments and text each other about the records that we were both listening to and could hear through the floor. We'd be like, nice, <laughs> master of puppets, good one. <laughs> you know, we both have an affinity for replacements, for the replacements. So he's like, ah, oh. you know, he had like some Japanese version of a, of a Let It Be or Tim or something. And he was like, bring down your copy. I want to see how it sounds compared to mine. So like, so, so now not living in an apartment where my neighbor can hear everything I listen to. And, you know, I was like, let me crank it. Let me, I, yeah, I have some Klipsch speakers I got a few years ago that never was really able to turn up that loud. The, when I first got them, I, I, I cranked them. And within, I think I would, I can't remember what I put on. I think I put on Master of Puppets. And within like two minutes, my upstairs neighbor came down and was like, hey, could you, could you turn it down? And that was at like three in the afternoon. So He's like, like, I can't hear Jimmy Buffett up here over like, Master you know, of Puppets. <laughs> Margaritaville just got ruined. Yeah. Um, really rainy day in Margaritaville. But but um but yeah, so like, you know, I'm in the new house. I'm like, all right, let's see what these speakers can do and like crank it and I don't know, I think I put on like some Rorschach uh in in honor of my new town neighbor. And then I got a little nervous because the houses aren't that far away. Like my neighbor's house to the left is like nine feet. And I was like, maybe they can still hear. So I like cranked it. And then I went outside and stood outside. And I was like, nope. Awesome. Like, my house is about 100 years old. It's all like plaster and lath. And uh, and so I like, it's it's well insulated. So I can crank it in here. Nice. So, Next up, house nice. shows. Yeah. <laughs> there, there it is. So I've got a basement. Red's, for, Red's reunion. <laughs> I got a basement for the first time ever. Like, you know, I grew up in Louisiana where if you try to dig a basement, it's full of water. Yeah. And so now I'm like basement, like, all right, it's basement show time. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I don't know. I don't know how the neighbors would appreciate that, but. You can Bob book hundreds of AU. Whenever yeah. the shows start back up. Yeah, that would be great. Get, yeah. Get Tom Schlatter in the basement. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, but you know, it's like, so I've got these records and I, I don't have a record shelf that I particularly like. I've got, you know, the, the standard Ikea Expedit or whatever, but so like, was, was thinking about oh we'll keep the records in the basement but my like again my being from louisiana my assumption is that basements just always flood so i was like well i'm not gonna put yeah. i'm not gonna put a bunch of records in the basement which was nice because it gave me an excuse to then just have them up in our main room handy and yeah handy. so i just gotta get a fancy well, record shelf now gotta ask what the compromised records would be man because my son is not a big he's not ruling the music he likes he likes Joyce Manor a little bit. That's like his one record that we can agree to put on. Otherwise, yeah. like most of what he likes is like he likes Marshmallow because he was on oh, Fortnite. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, My like nephew DJ was very dude. similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's about yeah. the extent of his of his taste right now. Well, so let's see. Let me think. Uh, I mean, my rec. My daughter's favorite record is a Cindy Lauper record. Uh, is is. Uh, Cindy Lauper. Uh, and so she loves Cindy Lauper. She's so unusual. And so nice. we, we, she was Cindy Lauper two years ago for Halloween. It was good. It was good. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. That's cool. Uh, so we listened to that. And then uh, other than that, record wise, she likes the Ramones. She likes, uh, I'm trying to think what else. Every now and then we, I'll put on like some Thou. And she likes like, 
I think she just enjoys headbanging more than she actually likes the record. <laughs> um, and so I've got a, I've got a good video of her getting very, uh, you know, like I feel like authentically emotional to, to Torches of Rome years ago, um, <laughs> grasping at her heart as she's like writhing on the ground, doing her best to lip sync to Torches of Rome. So that was good, you know, but she's definitely not generally asking for Torches of Rome. Um, she likes King Tough. Do you know King Tough? Yeah, yeah. Rock and roll, like sub pop. She she likes that record yeah. a lot. Sunshine. She 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 has a great interpretive dance she does to Sunshine from that record. Nice. There's some stuff like that. Um, I yeah. I believe I saw King Tough play at the Pitchfork Festival one year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I saw um, him play I went... somewhere in Brooklyn. He was wearing like a hockey jersey. I remember <laughs> that. That's great. Yeah, I, I went to Pitchfork like eight years in a row, and I don't remember everybody that I saw, but I'm pretty sure he was there the one year. But no, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Max's, Max's uh, ideas of what he likes are somewhat specific. For a while, when he was younger, he was really into the Blood Brothers song, uh, My First Kiss at the Public Execution. Nice. I don't know why. That would just come on, like, on a car ride, and he loved that. And then for a while, he really liked the song by the band Sect, Ritual Avoidance. And he would always call it Slayer, which was hilarious to me. <laughs> and so I was telling Chris Colahan, I'm like, dude, like my kid thinks that you guys are Slayer. So you're aware, <laughs> like he believes that you're Slayer. So, but that was, that was probably about eh, maybe three years ago he was into that stuff. And then he just got kind of more interested in in learning how to do like coding for a computer and he's trying to teach himself how to like do little animations now and he wants to start his own little that's animation cool. channel and that's cool so was, yeah no it's super cool man i support that i hope i hope he you know really sticks with it but you know like his interests definitely don't lie in in the music realm which is totally <laughs> fine you yeah. know but it's funny because all around him he's surrounded by records everywhere, yeah so. Marin has always wanted a drum set, which, you know, again, living in, in apartments in New York, oh, not yeah. reality, but now I'm like, all right, oh, yeah. drum set in the basement. But I want to get, I go, I want to get, you know, she's eight, so she's, she's small. Um, but I'm like, sure. I, I want to get a drum set that I could also play on. I don't play drums either. Like, I, I would love to learn to play drums. I was like, you get like a family drum set. So yeah. that might happen because she likes music. She likes singing. She, she has uh, about as much vocal talent as I do. Sounds very comparable. Uh, screechy. That's fantastic. Then. <laughs> Start recording yeah. it now. Yeah. She likes, oh, she likes Bikini Kill. Bikini Kill is another compromise record. So that's good. But yeah, she, she likes, she, she watches, you know, she gets on her iPad and she goes down these YouTube rabbit holes with just like terrible, insane stuff that I think <laughs> is like made by some Russian algorithm or something. And, and I'm like, this is, this is God awful. And it's like these weird fan fiction episodes of like Spider-Man making out with Elsa from Frozen. And I'm like, what are you watching? But it, you know, it has these songs on it. And then she's like, like, you can't watch this anymore. And she's like, but your favorite song that I, that I introduced you to was from YouTube. So you can't tell me YouTube's no good. But she does, she plays these like songs. You know, she's, she's big into Katy Perry right now. She's, she's big into the song uh, Born Without a Heart that I like, I've gotten into. I like to sing it very dramatically to her. Basically anything to embarrass her. She's gotten into Lady Gaga as well recently. So stuff like that. But unfortunately, she hasn't come away from like her time on the internet with like, oh, I want to learn coding. She comes away with it from like, 
you know, referring to everybody oh. as followers. She's like, hey, followers, today we're going to do it. And I'm like, you don't have to. Well, uh, <laughs> this is real Trust life. me. Trust we're me. Not, we're not. Uh, we have that to too. Okay, good. Yeah, we have that too. He's 11. And the coding is only because he wants to learn how to mod Minecraft. Oh, okay. It's not like he wants to learn to do, but he doesn't understand that that's a skill that can be transferred later to something. Yeah. He's just like, oh, I can make a character do this. Like he learned how to code to literally make it look like one of these like characters and the thing was pooping. That was his, <laughs> that was his, I love it. Real I moment. Would you, want to, would you want to code if you exactly. can't make people poop? Hero I mean, he was just so, I got the soundtracks. So I'm not going to lie. <laughs> they're mellow. I've put up, they're nice to have on in the background. We're doing stuff because they're like ambient stuff. We, uh, I got, my, I got my daughter a Nintendo Switch for Christmas, and uh, I think we like downloaded Minecraft at some point, but haven't gotten into it. But in our new basement, we uh, my wife brought a projector home from work, and so we have a wall that we just project on uh, with the Switch. And so I was like, oh, we should, oh, we should, awesome. I should try to get her into Minecraft. But so far, it's uh, mostly Just Dance and Mario Kart on the wall. To be to be fair about Minecraft, it at least is interesting because they can build something. Yeah, it's like they're you. It's not like they're they're just trying to get to an end because there is no real end. You know, I mean, there is if you play the game, like you know, to to actually like beat the game. But most of the kids that play it play it to you know design like a building yeah. or to like yeah, build open a world, world mode or yeah. whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what it, I think it's creative. Um, there you go. But I'm, Max has it on so many different systems, it's, it's absurd. I mean, he has a gaming computer, so that's what he's coding it on. Oh, whenever nice. he puts in little coding things, but yeah. But um, we, we're so far off topic as usual. <laughs> hey, whatever. <laughs> By the way, this is every every episode, so <laughs> we never we never stay on course. Um, yeah, but we get back to it, and I think that's what's important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Matt, what was your take on on this record on first listen? Oh, I dug it. I dug all the elements. I I don't want to say I was surprised you liked it, but I feel like it had things in it that maybe I was coming from a different place. Maybe that's just what it is, you know, because it has all those different elements for you. It could appeal in XYZ way to me. It could appeal in these ways. But like I found a lot of moments that reminded me of like touch and go bands mm-hmm. weirdly specifically this band's uzeda i don't i don't know if you know them uzeda um, no yeah so they they're a touch and go band uh this four piece italian weirdo hey could shellac be weirder yes and it's kind of them and they have uh <laughs> you know they have uh a woman for vocalists and she basically like shouts and screams like poetry and stuff it's you know it's whatever but some of the riffage when because not every song on this has riffs but some of the riffs i was like man that reminds me of them And then, like, the last song, Coleman, 
old man. Um, yeah. That almost reminded me of like, I don't know, like fucking shipping news or something. Just like the, the idea of like this, this sort of bombastic beat. It has these like builds. It kind of blows up at parts. It goes back to it. So those were like the most appealing sort of, well, not most appealing because I, I like old school, like slow core music too, like Bedhead and Codeine. And right off the bat, I felt like the first song of this album had elements of that, too. So I just think it's like it had so many elements of a lot of different stuff that I like. (laughs) So that was my takeaway. And I like their ability to balance it, you know, not just track to track. Like Evan said, there's there's songs where like they even seemingly like switch almost halfway through the song. I made a note of one of them what is a creation of wealth like somewhere in the middle almost of that song there's like a, a vibe change yeah and then it's like it's something else but it, it works and it's great so that was like i guess that was my biggest takeaway or the things that really like appealed to me about it and there's some honest you know this is this is my reoccurring thing ron knows probably where i'm going there's like some vocal melodies that i think are pretty honestly and actually the the one that there it is the pretty parts um but actually on the song you mentioned ron uh the passion of big baby jesus his vocal line on that is i don't know i think it's pretty and it's catchy and at least during like the initial verses Like a lot of the other songs, it does change by the time you get to the end of it. But yeah, just like an overall just appealing album. It was one of those things too. Like not that it it came out fucking 20 years ago, and I'm like, damn, I I've never heard this. But even 2017, I was like, man, I can't believe I didn't hear yeah. this before. You know, yeah. because because it's not just because it's so good, but yeah, I mean, it had all these things I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, the passion of Big Baby Jesus, going back to, you know, what we were saying earlier about the songs that have just so many different parts, like, you know, again, like, uh, melodic, slower, like, pretty song that then just at the end shreds and uh, gets its little shreddy moment going at the end, you know, and it's interesting, like, you know, I would be interested to know what their kind of songwriting process was as a band once Travis joined. And, and I think it's super interesting because like, you know, like usually, you know, when a band adds a member, like, so Travis wasn't in the band initially and, and Travis joined the band and obviously became a big part of the band, brought his own songs and, and parts and, and took over some of the vocals and 
so it's interesting to me that it was still, you know, Die Hoffnung and not a new band that the Marburgers were, were doing with Travis and they, they chose to stick with the Die Hoffnung name. But yeah, like I, I would love to know what their songwriting process was like and how that contributed to, you know, the different elements and components within the record as a whole, but also within the individual songs. Like what what was going on there? Because again, it's like, like you said, and we talked a little bit about a lot going on in the album as a whole, but also within individual songs. And then like the song that I like, is kind of like, a, a, I don't know if I'd call it a dark horse or whatever, but stands out from the others is uh, Elegy for Ned, which is like the really poppy one. Yeah, it's um, super poppy. I made a note of that one for that reason. <laughs> it reminds me of like, you know, the Promise Ring or something like, just like a catchy poppy feel good kind of kind of vibe going to it. Yeah, just I, I was listening to that song just before we started again, and, and like it, it stands out on the record for being the poppiest of, of the songs. Again, fitting into the whole bigger picture, not like, wow, this just doesn't seem like this song, you know, doesn't seem out of place at all. Yeah, I, I think from from my standpoint, and Matt's right, like I would understand how he would have assumed immediately that I probably wouldn't be into it. But again, it goes to it goes to the vocals and the way that they're delivered, and the emotion that kind of comes across in the vocals, as well as the fact that I do like that it isn't the same thing over and over again. Like, it's not like it's something that drones on for like a song drones on for 11 minutes and it's the same exact Mm -hmm. repetitious thing. There's, there's changes within each track, which is what kept me incredibly invested in what, you know, probably is one of the main reasons that I, that I liked it so much. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm not like, you know, it, it, it does have those seven minute songs and I'm never necessarily like a huge fan of like a seven minute song, but like, again, so much going on there and, and you're, you're on the, you're on the journey. And so. Definitely. It just doesn't stagnate like certain yeah, things. Like, so that, that was, that was key for me because we've, we've had this discussion on well, other yeah, episodes. I'm curious where... between the two of you. So, so Matt, when you say it was a record that when you heard you didn't think or, or weren't sure whether Ron would like it, based on like what about ron so and i'm not psychoanalyzing here with you but no, like no no so <laughs> basically one thing that has sort of become prevalent within ron and me just getting to know each other and really on these podcast episodes is ron is a fan of the short and punchy yeah his pick was charles bronson and it was pretty, pretty clear within that episode of like, this sort of set my path into finding more things that are also sort of in line with that. So when I look at an album, I'm like, shit, that song's nine minutes long. This song's seven minutes long. I'm just like, ooh, I don't know. And then not only that, but knowing like the lead in is a slower jam, right? Mm-hmm. It is like a slower, almost like a slow core song. 
And then there are like those moments in there. I was just like, man, I don't know if Ron will like it, but I do sometimes forget. And Ron, I apologize. I do sometimes forget that. And I, I told my fiance this Ron about yet that you are not necessarily a secret, but a secret indie head (laughs) where it always seems to like come out in episodes, but I I should know better because, you know, we've, we've had like pretty in-depth discussions about like pavement and stuff like that. But then when I think, had I listened to this before you, Ron? Do you know? Because I know this you album? texted me the link, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I already listened to it." Like, blah 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 blah. And I wasn't sure if you no, I just to it forgot to point. send you. Oh no, I forgot to send you a link like an asshole. No, um, that's fine. I looked. Let up. me be honest. I think when we were talking about it, there was there was a Canadians game on, and I was like, "I'll get to <laughs> Matt in a little bit." <laughs> to be fair, no, I was probably watching hockey. <laughs> No, that's I I know you do that a lot as well. <laughs> but yeah, when you um horrible I, when I had gone through it and then at least my perception was then you had listened to it. You were like, Yeah, I love it. The dude's vocals remind me kind of the mountain goats guy or however you were. I was like, Oh, okay. And yeah. then it like almost clicked in my head, like, oh yeah, Ron like listens to some different kinds of indie. Music. I also like Cody which I don't know that we've discussed, but I've never do like discussed we know, white birch yeah. is like my shit. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, not like, that this I, is, you know, totally that listeners. So don't get mad. At not me at all. Go, Wait a minute. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, just slow core is a fuck. It's a fucking genre. I know it's got a dumb name, but you know, whatever. I think, I think it's just in, in, in all fairness to Matt, having that perception is that I constantly talk about having like musical ADD, Evan, yeah we're like if it goes on too long like i haven't ever listened to a bucket of teeth full of teeth song and been like that ah, that was way too long <laughs> but i have i have had plenty of other things that i've had and i also think that there's a false perception that when someone gives you a record that you're automatically going to love it and i prefer one of the things that i like about matt and i is that we never have to have the discussion like oh man i'm gonna feel bad telling them i don't like this we have a we're cool with each other enough that like there's no discussion that that feels like we can't say like oh i'm not into this yeah or like this isn't this isn't this doesn't speak to me like you know we've had a couple episodes matt took over the hosting duties for um he hosted the last one uh because it was definitely not something that was in my wheelhouse now i can appreciate certain elements of it as somebody who likes music but it's just not something that i feel like as strongly gravitating toward but like yeah the stuff that i that i love obviously I mean, you know, because obviously I worked with you a little bit with the Reds thing and which I still am so appreciative of. I can't even just getting to talk to you was super cool. You and Dima and you guys were so nice to me and you guys don't know me from anybody, but I just appreciated all the kindness and allowing me to be a part of any history or ethos of Reds. And and that that time in my life was an incredibly important time. It was very transformative. I was an extremely shy person who like was afraid to even like speak to people and I would go to shows by myself I didn't I never really had a friend group and and still really don't I'm just kind of a loner but like I was so touched by a lot of that music and like it it just affected me forever like I was so into you guys and like wow owls in first person was a big band for me I really liked the that band I mean like so you know being able to be a part of that too but also I got into the, all of that stuff through finding Charles Bronson Youth Attack. Like if it wasn't for me working mm-hmm. at a record store and having somebody put on a flyer 
that they played hardcore in the vein into Charles Bronson, which I thought was a fucking joke, and then went and asked the guy, and he's like, no, you got to find it. And that was back in the uh, the days of Audio Galaxy, so I kept like trying to find this band. And then Youth Attack kind of was something I downloaded. And then in that folder, the guy had a million of other things. That's how I found Born Against, Orchid, Rorschach. Um, man, there were so many heroin. Like that folder was the gateway to everything that came later. So for me, it was more of a formative moment at 20, like 21, 22. And it became like a major thing for me forever. But when it comes to a record like this, I just, I'm so stoked that you brought it because I was so excited to talk to you about it because I had no idea who this was. I didn't know anything about them being in my hate and I hate myself until I started looking at putting this together. And I was like, man, okay, this makes a little bit of sense to me now. But how did I not hear about this? That was I me. That I was like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> how did I fall so far off? Where? Why is Viva Levinal not telling me about this? <laughs> You know, if you don't have your if you don't have your mess your go to message board anymore. Oh shit! It's true. I, I feel like you know, it's, people are like, oh, what, what are you listening to? What what are you what are you listening to these days? What's your new What's your new jam? I was like, you know, I I don't know anything new. I have no ideas anymore. I, I spend hours listening to new stuff. Sadly, I should like you know. I feel like Bandcamp. I I could go down some Bandcamp wormholes. I think that would be good. That's what I. Do. That's what I do. Yep. <laughs> Most of the new stuff I've been getting is just from this podcast, though. But new in that aspect yeah, of fair. just like it's new to me. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I feel like too, like, I don't know, like again, and this is I would almost assuredly guarantee that this is just me sounding like an old man and being an old man. I'm like, you know, I like I do like listen to stuff on Bandcamp and I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, how can I buy their record? And I look and either it's like there is no record, it's just yep. MP3s. Or it's a cassette, and I, I, I have to admit, I don't own a cassette player currently. Me neither. Uh, I don't own a tape deck player. A tape deck. I like. I think the one I had a while back either didn't fit in a new cabinet we got, so we just got rid of it, or uh, I think it broke, and so I don't have a tape deck. And I was like, you know, no loss. Like people aren't. This was you know a few years back. People aren't really doing tapes anymore. And then now every the tape thing's blowing up again. And it's just because it's so cheap, man. Honestly, yeah. it's so expensive to put out a record for the most yeah. part. Like if you're doing it on your own, it's an insane amount of money. I mean, as somebody who like I have a steady job, like I have uh, you know, we have a steady household, like there's nothing to worry about on that end. But I can't justify to my wife, hey, I'm gonna spend twelve hundred dollars putting out a record that's gonna sit in the basement probably yeah, right. for most of the time that it's coming out. Yeah. So, you know, with with a tape where I can spend, you know, under a hundred dollars and like with with the Reds tape, it's one of the ones that I spent the most on because I love it and I wanted it to be a huge thing for me. Like that was a big deal to me. And getting to put that out, that and in the bow and arrow reissue. Were, were big for me because both of those were records that I loved. And I always respected, you know, the work that you did with your label too. I felt like you put out a ton of stuff that people just like, I mean, it was a good label. And and also the artwork that you guys always did with Dima, you know, doing a lot of that stuff, mm -hmm. uh, everything, everything was awesome, man. And so, you know, it is, it's cheap route. And I think that's why a lot of bands go that route now too, because 
you can't put out a record for a reasonable amount of money and nobody wants a fucking cd anymore unfortunately well yeah i'm gonna buy one i got rid of my cd player before i got rid of my my tape deck so like and then i had to get rid of all my cds and then i got rid of like you know a hand a handful of my tapes because i was like i'm just i'm never gonna have anything to listen to them on and like and I, it, it was definitely a mixed bag because a lot of them were, you know, friends, bands and friends, labels and, and stuff. And uh, I kept a handful of them, but I got rid of a bunch of them. And now I'm like, man, I need to get a tape deck again. But I almost feel like I have to like, just like stand by my decision to get, to get rid of it. <laughs> if I get rid of the, no. if, I get a, if I get a tape deck again, then I'm going to be even more pissed off about all the tapes I got rid of. And right. so now I'm like, nope, I'm just going to, I don't know. I got it. But like people still give me tapes. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, I'll check this out. And then I'm like, I can't listen to this. So. I'd never bought a tape really other than, wow, it would have been maybe 2008 um, at like a local crappy store here. The Wow Owls Mind Explosion demo tape yeah. was there. And so I bought it. That's the only tape that I have from like years ago. Everything else is all recent because I didn't have a tape player and I got rid of all my CDs. And the one that I most regret getting rid of is the uh, Neil Perry lineage situation. Because when I look to rebuy it now, people want like a hundred dollars oh, for that CD. And I'm really like, for this a is CD? insane. Woof. Yeah. Discogs is a, it's out of hand. It's, it's, it's getting to the point where somebody needs to bring back Viva La Vinyl just so we can all, <laughs> you know, inflate the price of our records. <laughs> Well, they're Dude, pretty, be like you know cd fetishists there probably are i'm sure there are like there definitely CD, is cd collector message boards the wfmu record fair uh is like a huge record fair that happens in in new york um it didn't happen last year or this year because of covid but you know there's like it's I, I don't know it's like a huge record fair but there are definitely people that go there for the cds like i bumped into somebody yeah. like working for these and i'm like all right like so that's interesting, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to justify once you have a kid and like you know you're doing vinyl for bands that like who knows how many copies you're going to be able to sell. And it's like, well, you know, when I was doing the label, and I ended up doing like mostly CDs because we I was doing the label as a benefit and right the label and like you know if you're selling vinyl, you're you're not the the margin is so slim that you're not able to donate a ton of money. Like you definitely have a yeah. hard time breaking even and then like if you donate money it's maybe a few hundred bucks or whatever at least on, on the scale that i was on but like you know you press a thousand cds and you sell 300 and you can give away a thousand dollars so it's like right um but you know now that i have a kid it's like I, i've thought there have been times where i was like man i'd kind of love to do a, a record label again but it's like how often do i need to buy my kids shoes <laughs> right yeah. well that's that's why that's yeah, why i have to use play money essentially like it's just like that money that i have coming in that's extra essentially is what i use it's play money to, to for me to do whatever because you know it's not like i'm not working it's not like i'm not bringing in an income so that's kind of what i utilize it for like everything that i've done has been based on that and Matt and I are actually going to be releasing the next uh, The Wind in the Trees from Baltimore album. This is an exclusive. Uh, Run yeah, no, exclusive. We, we, I think we mentioned it a oh, while back, actually. This is not yeah, an exclusive. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still exclusive. We're the ones putting it out, so get into it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, I actually just talked to, to them today to uh, discuss like how far things along 
are in the process because the place that I utilize for records is now up to like 20 to 24 weeks turnaround time. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting, but like Crazy. I've tried to get a little bit away from the tapes because I've found that even doing like lathe cut records, I get more attention from people. They're interested in that more. Um, I've, I've got tapes from bands that I did that I have like almost every copy of just sitting. And so I've been a little more patient with, with what I've been putting out. Like there were things that I wanted to do. And there's a couple that are still going to be coming out on tape that I, that I want to do. And there's some artists that I've been wanting to work with that want, you know, we want to work with tapes. So that's, that's different. But like in the future, I think that the releases are going to be a little bit further apart just simply because it's going to be a little more vinyl Mm -hmm. coming out. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to do that. I mean, like there's, there's some great labels that put out good stuff. I think, uh, I think it's handstand records that, that mm-hmm. always seems to be putting out interesting things too. Like I yeah, like will. that he's, yeah, Will, exactly. Yeah. He's a good dude. Like he bought, uh, he wanted to buy some of the Reds tapes and then we just decided we were just going to trade some stuff. And he's so we traded. Lot- he, he came up uh, to New York, I don't know, whenever, whenever it was, two years ago or so. He, he lived up here for a long time um, and is a friend. And, uh, like, when I scrounged up, like, the last 15 or so copies of the Reds LP, I was just like, you do a distro, man. Like, take these. Yeah. Get them into people's I bought, I bought a one. I bought one from him because I my copy was just, like, worn out. I mean, I listened to it a ton, and it had, like, pops and hisses and shit. And so I saw that he had it on Discogs and I bought it from him on Discogs before I released the tapes, like before I even spoke to you guys about releasing the tapes. So yeah, yeah, that was awesome. He threw a bunch of extra stuff into, he's super good dude. Really nice guy. Will is a good dude, but no, to kind of get back to to the album and and to not hold you up all night (laughs) because we, we all have jobs, but um, to, to be a person who's not heard this band how would you how would you describe this as to why they must listen to this? What is the reason that they must check this out? Um, uh, oh, let's see. I mean, one, I just think it's a, a a really interesting record. I think it's it's well written. I think the music is super engaging. The lyrics are super engaging. Uh, I think it's a great kind of total package. I think also like with with Travis's suicide and this being I think as far as I know like his last recorded output um it just I want people to hear it I think Travis was an amazing person and a great guy and and in tons of bands that really meant a lot to me and I want people to hear it I mean that was a big part of it like just feeling like it it didn't get to as many or hasn't gotten to as many years as I think it deserves to and wanting it to be something that people hear and i think also because there you know other other bands that these guys were in in younger years were bands that a lot of people did like you know i I hate myself was pretty popular in that scene and and moonraker um lots of people i think listened to and, and loved reactionary three and so i think there's all these reasons why people should hear and would love this record that for a lot of other reasons, a lot of people haven't heard and had the chance to hear. You know, Belladonna is a, is a label that was around back in the 90s. Um, and I think 
as far as I know, he, uh, Jason, the guy that does the label, stopped doing the label for a long time um, and then started putting out stuff more recently again. And so, again, I think it's like that being a contributing reason why it's not like it's a long standing label, but it's not a label that's continuously put things out. And so I think a label that people might not be as aware of. And so, yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons why not as many people I have heard it as I think should. Uh, but yeah, I just think it's a great record and I want people to hear it. I also think like, again, going back to my, my bonus must hear record that other people, a lot of people haven't heard true feedback story. That's seven inch also check it out. But all, I mean, all of Travis's bands, all the Marburgers brothers bands are all great. Um, but yeah, I just think this is a great record. And I think it's a record you can listen to like in a variety of different moods. Like you're kind of feeling sad and lonely one day, put it on. It's got those jams. You're feeling like angry, put it on. You're feeling contemplative, put it on. Like it's, it's, it's a record for many moods. And it scratches a lot of itches. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I do think like, you know, and again, I don't know how much of this is me just putting myself upon the record, but like as a 42 year old guy, it's like a record that sonically I would have been into as an 18 or 20 year old. But I think the, the themes and the lyrical content from what I get out of it again, I think a lot of it being open to, to interpretation from what I get out of it again, like stuff that resonates for me, currently i think a lot about how like sure. you know because i i still listen to a lot of the bands that i listened to when i was 18 and 20 and you know for a lot of the political stuff it's still relevant and whatnot but you know i, I do think about the fact that as a 42 year old guy i'm often listening to lyrics written by a 17 year old <laughs> i mean like yeah like trying to get a lot of meaning out of them and it's like you know sometimes i want to connect with lyrics written by somebody of the age that I currently am dealing with the things that I'm currently dealing with. And I think this, I think this does that life is a middle-aged punk. No, that's, that's all of us on here right yeah. now, pretty much. We're all uh, close in age. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's us as well. Last thing before we, we let you go, if you had to pick one track for people to listen to just to get them exposed, what would be the track? See, I, I, that's so hard. Because again, going back to what you said earlier, right? Of like, yep. it being a record and not like singles. I think like you could listen to like one track on this record and expect an entirely different thing than you would actually get when you listen to the whole record, right? Like, yeah, Elegy for Ned, you're like, all right, this is going to be like a Promise Ring vein record. Like, you know, like... <laughs> listen to elegy for bob ross it's gonna be a slow core coding kind of record or whatever i don't know i i really like horses on fire the second track I, I love them all but um i like horses on fire is kind of a ripper yeah it is and uh and i think it's also like when, it, when we talk about lyrical content right now like so I, I mentioned that we moved to new jersey uh to the burbs of new jersey like a month ago uh and you know, we're a month in. I, I love the house. I think there's a lot that I'm excited about, but it, I'm also like, man, did we make a mistake? Like, and, and my, you know, my wife's feeling similarly. And it's like, so the lyrics of that, like, you know, so it's a, uh, of the things to be learned, not found in books, taught only by blows, taking a punch, being stolen from or worse, asking a bride, uh, you know, just that idea that like, there are things you, you, you can't, you can't learn from, you know, talking about them or, or thinking about them, you gotta you gotta experience it. And uh, how do you explain to the horse 
about the broken leg, right? Like you can't, you know, there's some things you can't understand unless you've been through it. And, you know, I'm still trying to figure out whether I understand why we moved to suburban New Jersey and whether it was the right choice. But again, like projecting my current situation upon the lyrics. And that's, again, one of the things I like about the lyrics is you can put different things into them. The listening to that song the other day, getting ready for this, it definitely struck a different note for me than it had. Uh, well, there's also the line, as though we could make a home here in the song. So that song really hit me recently when I was listening to it. I mean, there's so many good songs. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say again. I think I love Pullman at the end. It's like pulls you in and it's got the, the, the kind of driving repetitious beat, like, you know, the, the train uh, yeah. and then just threads at the end there. Passion of Big Baby Jesus is a great one. You know, you can't go wrong when you're, dropping ODB references. Uh, one of my favorite band shirts ever was uh, Helen of Troy when they played in Louisiana years ago before I moved up here. They had a, a shirt they were selling at the time that was a Helen of Troy shirt. And I don't even know if it said Helen of Troy anywhere. I think maybe very small at the bottom, but it was just a big, big picture of ODB and it just said free ODB. It was uh, during one of his periods of incarceration. So, you know, love the ODB references. But uh, I don't know, they're... I would say, I don't know, I have to pick one. I would say listen to Horses on Fire, followed by Elegy for Ned, and then a little bit of a Passion of Big Baby Jesus. Those three, I think, will give you enough of a picture of the record to... to the Trinity. The Trinity, yeah, you know. But again, like, you can't listen to any one song and think you're going to know what, what this record is like, I feel like. No, I mean, calling it a journey is probably the most honest way to describe it. I mean, it definitely is like, it takes you on a journey. It's so solid. But generally speaking, I just ask that question to everybody because there's certain records that you can pull a song and go, oh, this will give you an idea of what this is about. Yeah. And I agree with you. This is not one. Um, and there've been a few that have, that have been kind of tough to like pick a singular track from. But this one in particular, I struggled with picking anything too, to be honest. So I, I agree. I think it's it's a journey track, but those three are definitely ones that I would recommend too. I feel like it's almost like a, a soundtrack to a, a movie that's not a movie or, or like a, a concept album or I don't know. Yeah. Definitely thematic album. I've, I've been trying to like figure out like, you know, if, if there was a concept or, or a theme to the record, like what would it be uh, that ran through it all? And I think maybe that's why I'm like, you know, middle-aged punk. That's, that's the concept for me, at least. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot going on. It's, it feels very cinematic to me. Yeah, absolutely. Man, Evan, I appreciate you doing this with us so much. I appreciate you as a person. Always super kind, always super cool. Uh, if anybody has not heard Reds, do it. I mean, what the fuck? What are you doing? Like, <laughs> you've really wasted a lot of your life on stuff that you shouldn't be listening to. Um, but man, I appreciate your time. I know that it's, you know, as, as a dad, I know it's difficult sometimes to get away from that responsibility to do this. Oh, it was a great um, excuse to not have to put my child to sleep tonight. I was like, I, I can't, sorry, sweetie. Mom's going to put you to bed tonight. I got to go do this. So thank you for, <laughs> <laughs> not that I don't love putting my daughter to sleep at night and reading, no, no. but like, it's nice to get a night off. I, I totally understand. My wife works pretty much nights. So it's me every night, you know? And Saturdays and Sundays are the days that I can, you know, stay up late and, you know, do what I'm going to do. And so, but man, no, I appreciate you giving us your time. 
Uh, Matt, any final thoughts or anything? Just want to thank Evan. It's been nice speaking with you. I really want to thank you for bringing this because I know Ron was like, hey, no offense, Matt. I think this was my favorite one. I think this actually has been my favorite one as well. As far as albums that, you know, our uh, guests have brought that I've never heard before. This one resonated the most with me. And really to the listener, I really, yeah, go listen to it. It's really good. (laughs) All right. Mission accomplished for me then. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic record. Uh, Man, thanks to everybody who stayed the whole time and listened. Uh, Next week, we'll be talking to Tom Schlatter of Hundreds of AU, Tired and Trustless, everything amazing. He's in so many fucking incredible bands. This Ship Will Sink as well, which I I have. I have that. Yeah, I have that with the the screen printed cover, I think, that was done for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, he wants to talk about the album Endeavors, album uh, Constructive Semantics. So we'll be uh, talking about that one next week. Thanks to everybody who stayed the whole time, and we'll see you next week.